0: So Kent, I forgot to pick up my microphone. Sorry about that. I promise next week we'll have it a little more together here. So as i said before we're going to be in uh peter's letters to the churches for a while uh i'm not sure how long but we will see where god leads in all of this but uh uh i was reading through <clears throat> peter's letters a few times uh, a few weeks ago and just uh could not get away from all that was contained in that in his letters for the churches all the things that in such a small a small letter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, all that was contained in those letters that uh, is, is able to build us up as the church uh, and help us to understand simply what it means to be a follower of Christ and what's available to us in Christ, uh, the spiritual blessings that are available to us. So those are the things that I want to look at uh, today and over the next few weeks and uh, however long that takes. uh to do that. But today we're going to look at 1st uh, Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3. <clears throat> it simply says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed." In the last time, uh, so we're going to start working through this today and and see if see if we can get through all of it, but uh, there's so much contained in just these few few verses uh, verses three through five and and the first thing that uh, I want to look at is just uh, how Peter started this letter by uh, exclaiming this this uh, this proclamation of praise. To the Father and Lord of uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, so he begins the letter that way, and that seems so simple you know that that his tone is one of joy that his his uh his demeanor in that moment what he 's writing to the church in that moment through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is uh is praise to God that's overflowing out of his heart, that, that uh, there is something going on with his, within his soul that is so joyous, something that gives him uh, the attitude of thanksgiving so much that it overflows out of him in that way. And, and that seems so simple, but I think so many times as believers, uh, well, analyze you know, our attitudes and actions. You don't have to tell anybody around you what's, what your attitudes are, but if you analyze your actions over the last week, How much time was spent in praise? How much time was spent in thanksgiving? How much time was spent contemplating the things of God and and, uh, all that He has done uh, in His people uh, and just overflowing with thanksgiving out of that? I think that is such a necessary thing in the life of the church today is that the people of God would be a thankful people. I mean, consider that for a moment. How many people do you think that we're going to convert how many people do you think we're going to go out and talk to them about God? And, you know, they might start thinking, well, maybe that makes a little sense. And then they look at us and see that all we ever do is talk about all the things that are wrong with, with our life, all the things that are not going well, all the things that, that we're struggling with and suffering through. And I'm not telling you that we shouldn't be, uh, that we're not going to have moments of discouragement or, or times where we are going through a painful situation but the, the point is that as Christians, we should understand that we have a hope that goes beyond this world. We have a hope that, that, uh, that Christ has restored my soul, that He has done something that I never could have done myself, that He has taken me to a place that I never could have uh, gone to on my own, that there's nothing in me that ever could have gained salvation. And I am joyous in light of that. And we're going to look at that just uh, a little bit farther uh, in the next few minutes. But uh, all through Scripture we see a call for the people of God to be thankful and joyous people in, in that overflowing into praise directed towards God. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, Psalm 30, uh, 4 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 105, says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Psalm 96, 8 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. And those are just a uh, few of the examples. You cannot read through scripture and uh, possibly believe that the people of God should not be a people of joy. That should be the disposition of our hearts. should be joy. We should be people who are thankful and happy uh, for what God has done in our hearts. Then every time that we come, uh, I don't want you to mistake that worship is something that happens in this place. You can worship when you're at home by yourself. You can worship in your car when you're at work. Everywhere that you are, you have the opportunity to worship. But when we come to this place, assembled as God's people, Brothers and sisters who have been washed by the blood of the Son of God, we should be joyous. I can't remember what psalm it is, but it says, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so many times, though, we have, uh, it's just another thing that we need to do. It's just another task that we have to complete. You know, when we look at our week, we lay it all out and, well, I've got to go to church on Sunday. We shouldn't have that attitude about it. It should be something where I rejoice when I have the opportunity to be together with the people of God and to worship our God with them. Uh, But Hebrews 13.15 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. So let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, something that is continually offered to Him, the sacrifice of praise. It says that is the fruit of lips that profess His name. The fruit of our lips then should be praise to God. What naturally flows from our hearts out of our lips should be praise to God. And that should be continually offered to Him. But it takes our conscious thought to make sure that we are people who are contemplating the things of God, all the things that He has done for us. So why should we be joyous? We talked about it a little bit, but why should, we praise? Why should praise be the disposition of God's people? You understand what the Bible says about our position before we were in Christ. It says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that means? Number one, it says we were dead. That we were dead. But we were children of wrath. Doesn't mean that just we we were dead within our souls. We had nothing within us. We had no life within us. But we were children of wrath. That means that the wrath of God, His His holy disposition towards sin, was directed towards us. The aim of His holy disposition towards sin, His His uh, uh, you know the nature of sin that that would sicken God. That the sin could not be in His presence. All of His. His righteous judgment of sin was aimed directly at us because we were children of wrath. And we forget that too many times as Christians. I've said before, and I think, it's, uh, I think it's such a problem today, I believe even among Christians, definitely in the world, but I think even among Christians today, we believe that the human heart is generally good in itself. You cannot find that in the Bible. You will never find the Bible is saying that the human heart is good in itself. There is nothing good in me. All the things that I think in myself, uh, th- that are good in myself, those mean nothing before God. Because we have no concept of the holiness of God. And when somebody stands in his presence, in the revealing nature of his holiness, you understand we look through the Bible and we see what was in an Isaiah. He was in the throne room of God. And he uh, <coughs> was in the presence of God. And what did he say? He said, woe to me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. What was the point of that? The point was him standing in the presence of God revealed the nature of his heart. Even the things we don't even realize are within our hearts. When you have an encounter with God, his nature will immediately reveal the sinfulness of our hearts. In the desperate need that we have for Him to cleanse us because there is no way that we can be cleansed in ourselves. There is no way that we can possibly make a decision and say, that, you know what, this next year I'm going to take these behaviors and I'm going to work on these, and by the end of it I'm going to be a good person. That's not how it works. That doesn't cleanse our hearts. And we're going to talk about the law a little bit later, that, that, that place where we come to where we think if I do this and this and this, then I'll be a good person. Then I'll be good enough for God. There is nothing we ever could have done to be good enough. For God. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like to hear that. I think some Christians don't even like to hear that. Uh, I think it was Oswald Chambers said that uh, the greatest spiritual blessing is the knowledge that we are destitute. The greatest spiritual blessing is the knowledge that we are destitute. What he means by that is the greatest blessing is when we come to the place where I finally realize that there is nothing in me, that I can't work hard enough to be good enough for God. I can't work hard enough to merit salvation. I can't work hard enough to gain a place in in heaven. And I just stop and allow God to be who He is in my heart. But it takes us realizing that we don't have anything within us. It takes us coming to the place of being a spiritual beggar where I understand that all that I have comes from God and I kneel myself before Him as a spiritual beggar. A lot of times we don't want to come to that place where we become a spiritual beggar because it takes me having to get on my knees, whether literally or figuratively, being on my knees before God asking Him for something. We may not say it, but too often we want to think that we can do it ourselves, right? Right? I can accomplish it. But that's not how it works spiritually. We may be able to accomplish a lot in this world. Men have done great things in this world. Men and women have had great intellect by man's standards. They have accomplished things that most of us can't even begin to understand. You see, the Bible says the wisdom of man is foolishness before God. The first thing that we have to understand to be a people of joy is that we have nothing. Now that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? That doesn't really make sense by the world standards when you think about it that I have to realize there's nothing in me. I have to realize that I'm not good enough in order to be a person of joy. But that's where it comes from. That's where joy comes from because I don't have to be the one who is good enough. My value is in God. He is the one who makes me who I am. He is the one who, who brings life and hope into my soul, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But you see, we have to be real, realistic about uh, where we are at and who we are in our position before God. I have heard people say over the years, uh, "Have you ever heard somebody say, 'I don't regret, uh, I don't re- regret my past because it's made me who I am.' People say that kind of thing all the time." And I'm convinced that that is uh, absolutely a wrong attitude. First of all, do we believe that it took sin to make us who God wanted us to be? Had we not, I mean, gl- that in a way that's glorifying all the things we have done in our past. We look on the past and say, I don't regret those things because it's made me who I am. God could have made you who you are or more, had we not chosen to rebel against him God can make us who we are or more by not doing the sinful things that we have done in the past Now I'm not sitting here t- I'm not going to tell you to sit and be miserable about all the things you have done in your past I'm just telling you we can't glorify those things I am thankful for who God has made me in spite of the things that I have done in the past in spite of the ways that I have chosen to turn away from Him and do my own thing and try to make my own way in life, I am thankful He has done something in me in spite of that. You see, sometimes it's just the little little ways that we have to adjust, the ways that we talk about things, our attitudes about things, the way that we think about things. My past, if I could go back, there are so many things that I would change about my past because I know that if I had had my eyes fixed on God during those periods of time, where I did things that I regret today, that God would have given me fullness of life, the the life that I was looking for in those moments, the things that you were looking for to fulfill yourself, God would have given you that and more had we fixed our eyes on Him. So my point in all of this, what I'm trying to say in all of this, is that, again, it sounds counterintuitive, but to be a person of joy, overflowing with thankfulness and praise to God, it takes us recognizing The destitution of the human heart. Because when I recognize that, God can actually do something in me. God's not going to force Himself in your heart. He's not going to force Himself in. He's not going to force Himself beyond your will to do something within you. As long as I am still trying to do it myself, as long as I am forcing things in life, God's not going to do anything. He's going to allow us to choose. It's like people talk about you know, God sending people to hell. God doesn't send one person to hell. There's nobody that God sends to hell. People make that decision themselves. If somebody is in hell today, it's because they made a decision to pursue that. I mean, think about it. Why, why on earth would God, if somebody chooses to want nothing to do with God their whole life, why would He force them to want something to do with them in eternity? Why would He force that? It's their decision. And in all of it, we have the decision to be a a person of joy. What I'm saying is we have the ability to cultivate a heart of thankfulness and joy and praise. And that can only happen when we begin to understand the, the true nature of things. When we lie to ourselves and think that we have more power than we do, God will do nothing within us. so christians all over the world should be people distinguished by praise i don't want to hang on this this too long but i am i am just at some point we have been blinded by the things that we have At some point we have been blinded, especially I think in this country, the things that we have, the positions that we have, not just material things, but the the jobs that we have. Uh, Sometimes we've been blinded by even our families. Uh, We have been blinded by the realities of spiritual life. And I'm telling you today as the church that we will never see God's power move among us. I think, number 1 until we can be a people who actually can be a people of joy. Why why would God move in a people that have no thankfulness for what he has done? Why would God why would he do that? Why would God move in a people who have no no desire to praise him for what he has done? Why would he do that? I think if there is one thing that the world is looking for, it's a sense of real joy that they should see in us. I believe we should be a people who actually want to talk about God. I mean, think about sometimes how often we're together even... uh, Just think about it. In your life, how many times do you you ever have a conversation about God outside of church? How many times is there ever a conversation about who He is? Or what He's done? Or His goodness? Or His faithfulness? How many times do we talk about those things when we're not in this place? How many times do we talk about those things when we're in this place? I think... We have to. That is such an elementary thing. I think it was uh, Jim Simbola in one of his books on prayer. I can't remember what it was called, but he said something along the lines of, uh, it's not the, the deep things, the deep, deep theological topics of the Bible that keep us out of heaven or out of the reach of God. It's the everyday elementary things that we fail to employ or we fail to ap- apply and one of these one this praise is one of those things i believe having a thankful joyous heart is one of those things i know i've rambled for this on this for a long time now but i think it's very important i think we got to get this as the, as the church we got to start being people who are thankful for what god has done offering him praise out of that and we got to be people who actually talk to each other about what god has done you know i before I, left, before I left Brookville, one of the last things we did was seven, we did seven weeks of uh, Sunday evening. We did seven weeks leading up to Easter where we came together. And what we did is we just had a list of songs. There was no plan. We went in, we had a list of songs, probably 70 or 80 songs, and everybody had a list. And so throughout the night, people could just pick songs they wanted to do. We would have times of prayer. We would have times of testimony. And that was one of the most amazing things. That was one of the most amazing things for me. The encouragement that comes from hearing somebody else say, hey, God's working in my life. He's doing something. You might not be feeling this right now. You might not feel anything right now, but God is doing something. And if you pursue Him, if you walk with Him, He's going to do it for you too. He's not going to keep Himself. He's not going to remove it. He hasn't removed Himself, but sometimes God... Pulls back for a moment. I think sometimes to see if we're going to strive towards Him. But sometimes in those moments where we're suffering and going through pain, we don't feel much or we start to to waver in our faith. But it's so encouraging when you can talk to somebody else and they say, I know you're going through something, but God is working. He's not going to leave you in this place forever. Keep your eyes fixed on Him and He's going to move. So what I'm trying to say in all of this about praise is it is vital that we be people of praise because why would anyone outside want to be with a people who are not joyous? Why would God move it in people who don't want to be joyous? And it is encouraging to the body of believers when they hear the joy that is overflowing out of your heart. When you can openly talk about it, it encourages somebody else. That's what the Bible says that we should do is spur one another on to love and good deeds. Uh, so we gotta be a people of praise first. And why is that? Understand, because we have big what we have been given in Christ, uh first Peter chapter one, starting at verse three, says uh, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Why should we praise? And he goes on to say this this is why. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So though we were dead, though we were children of wrath, though though we were those people who God's justice, His holy justice was aimed directly at our hearts because of sin. And the wages of sin was death. The only sentence for us, the only sentence that was just was death. That was aimed directly at us from God and His holiness. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 4, it says, "...but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." so that He might show His immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. I understand that there are immeasurable riches that are available to us. The immeasurable riches of kindness that come from God are available to us in Christ. Though we were a people who had the justice of God aimed right at us, with no way of escaping, it says, but God, because of his love, made us alive that he could show us the immeasurable riches of his kindness in Christ. You understand? Do we understand, church, what this means? We understand that the Bible says that we were dead. But Christ has given us a living hope, not a, not a hope that we just sit on the shelf somewhere and we revisit it whenever times get tough. That's not what he's talking about. Not a hope that sits on the shelf and we revisit when we come to church or we come to Bible study or we get up and do five minutes of of devotions in the morning, but a hope that is living, that influences every moment of our day, every action, everything that we say and do, influenced by the living hope in Christ. And the simplicity of that hope is I don't have to be who I was. Because of Him, I don't have to be who I was. The simplicity of that hope is I don't have to be tomorrow who I am today. I don't have to be next year who I am today. Because He will make me somebody new. He will make me to be new. Not that I have to meet a list as we talked about. It's not a list. It's not a religion that I do this, this, and this, and I'm a good person. But as I fix my eyes on Him, as I praise Him, as I am thankful for what He has done for me, as I submit myself to Him, as the Lord of my life, He will transform my heart. He will be the one that does it. He will transform my heart when He, he, he reveals things to us through His Word. And He says, do this. When he, he looks through His Word and He points something out to you and He says, this is where you need to be going. You submit yourself to it and He transforms you. And then He'll show you the next step. And then He'll show you the next step. And on and on through your life. And then finally, the person who keeps their eyes fixed on Him, walking with Him throughout their lifetime, gets to the end of it, gets to the end of 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, and they look back and see, I can't believe what God has done in me. I can't believe what the living hope has done in me. It's not a dead hope. You understand at the point, at the point that Peter was writing this, at the point of the crucifixion of Christ, the, the Israelites at that time were looking for a Savior who would come and set up a political kingdom. They were looking for political influence. They were looking for somebody who would would raise them up to be over other kingdoms. That's what they were looking for. But you see, the hope of Christ was better than that. They didn't see that. So they're, they're looking for all of this stuff to happen, political influence and power and all those things. And then they see their Savior hang on a cross and He dies. What does that look like to them? It's a dead hope. But it's amazing what this says. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. You see, all that the people were expecting, all that man was looking to accomplish, his political influence, his power, all those things, that died on the cross. That hope was dead. What they were looking for was a dead hope. It was dead from the beginning because that's not got what God's intentions was, but through the resurrection, the living Christ who raised from the dead, they, they gained a living hope, something that was alive, something that was vibrant, something that was, that was true, something that would carry them. He gave them something greater than influence over man alone. He gave them a kingdom. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of physical things. The kingdom of God is not a matter of looking to a location and saying, here it is. Christ said so himself. They asked him when would the kingdom would come. He said the kingdom doesn't come with observation. Nobody says here it is or there it is. The kingdom is within you. What did he do with the people then? He killed off that hope that they had a political power and all those kind of things. And he gave them eternal power. He gave them a living hope that would carry them through just the fleeting moments of this earth to carry them to something beyond. He would carry them through in a living hope. He gave them hope that their life would be changed by His power. See, we have a living hope as the church. My hope is beyond things of this world. My hope is beyond gaining status or influence or power. My hope is beyond having a church where we just have a list of things that we say, do this and then you'll gain favor with God. Our hope is beyond that. Our hope is living. It is something where it influences everything that I say and do. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go with this. Might save some of this for next week. Listen, I know that I have dwelled on some of these points and dragged them out probably longer than they needed to be today. I understand that. But it is so important that the church stop just reading things in the Bible and leaving it at that. It is so important that when Peter says, praise be to God because of the living hope that is available through the resurrection of Christ, praise be to Him that we would be a people who would reflect that. There are some elementary things that we have to get right. And that's figuring out how to be people of hope. You know, too many times we think about these things in context of just people who don't know Christ. People outside of the church who, who don't want anything to do with Him and hopefully influencing them to get saved. And absolutely, we need to do that. But too often we we push push these things off to thinking about distant things. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. What I mean is simply that too many times we forget the influence we have over people directly next to us. Simple example is parents over our children. Right? What, what, What reason would a child have to grow up and continue in some sort of faith that we have talked about, but we've never been joyous about. Why would, why would a kid do that? Why would a kid grow up hearing a parent talk about how amazing God is, and then all they do is hear them complain about everything? Why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. Why would somebody think that there is a living hope in Christ If the only time they see you talk about or or be influenced by this hope is when we sit on Sunday morning and that's it. And I'm not telling you that we have to be people. I'm not telling you you have to be here every time the doors are open in the church. I'm not telling you that it's beyond being at church or not being at church. It's a matter of is the hope living in you? Is it something that people see actually influences what we say and do? Is it a matter of Our children look on and see that we're joyous people. Is it a matter of our children look on and when a problem comes up, they see that, hey, there must be something living in them because they prayed about it. The first reaction wasn't to try to do it in their own power, but they saw us actually go to God. We believe God is who He says He is because they prayed about it. We have no idea the influence that's going on in the world, over our children. And First of all, in saying this, I'm not saying that I don't have a long way to go in this. Don't ask Jamie. Uh, This is a lifelong process of God transforming us. But too many times we don't even make the attempt... The world has an amazing influence over us and our children. We, we are very, very, very careful about what, uh, what Christian watches on TV. Unbelievably careful. We, we don't even have actual TV. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but the things he is able to watch, we are very, very careful we just just recently in the last couple of weeks realized that he was watching a show just about dinosaurs it was about science stuff and things like that and i watched the one show because he said something he said something that he took from that show and i thought that doesn't that doesn't make sense with what what we believe and i knew the influence it had to come from and so i went back and watched I had him turn on that particular show that he was watching, and I watched it. And it must have only been a maybe two or three minute section of that TV show talking about evolution. And I'm telling you that still we are fighting to overcome that two or three minutes. That is very scary. What I'm telling you is that our children are influenced. Not just our children, but our family members, people around you are influenced by things everywhere. You can be so vigilant about the things that you set before them and still something creeps its way in. What I'm telling you is that we cannot overcome that influence by just telling everybody God is good. That's not going to happen. We're not going to overcome that influence by just saying, reciting some knowledge we know about the Bible. That's not going to overcome that influence. The only thing that's going to overcome that influence is if they they see a living hope within us. That's the only thing that's going to overcome it. We can't be with our children or our family members in every moment of every day shielding them from everything that they will, will be around in life. They're gonna, our kids are going to grow up, they're going to be 15, 16, 17 years old and they're going to go and do some things by themselves. We can't shield them from everything they're ever going to be around. They go off to college be an adult, they're going to be around things. The only thing that we have is to show them there is a living hope. That's all we have you can be sure if there's just simply a dead hope within us, it's going to mean nothing when they are out in the place of being influenced by the world. So my point today, church, as we begin to close this time together, the worship team can come up. This isn't at all how I pictured this going today. What I'm telling you is the Bible says, uh, I believe it is in Psalm 90, it says, Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And what that means the psalmist is asking that God would teach him how fleeting life is so that he would understand what's important. We would do well to go before God with that same prayer that God would teach us to number our days. Not just until our death, not just until the moment where we pass on from this life, but He would teach us to number the days that we have with the people around us the days that we have to num- the, the number of days that we have to influence people that he would teach us the number of days that we have left to be a people of joy a people of praise to be a people with a living hope within us because i would guess judging from my life and i'm probably not the only one there's been a lot of days wasted concerned about things that don't really matter or not really having a whole lot of thanks for what God has done but that we would pray that God would teach us to number our days so that we would spend every moment that we have left being a people that would pursue Him with understanding of the living hope that is available and allowing that to overflow out of our hearts into the world around us. You sing this with us today.